0: section 1 of the adventures of gerard this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by philip griffiths how brigadier gerard lost his ear it was the old brigadier who was talking in the cafe i have seen a great many cities my friends I would not dare to tell you how many I have entered as a conqueror, with eight hundred of my little fighting devils clanking and jingling behind me. The cavalry were in front of the Grand Army, and the Hussars of Conflans were in front of the cavalry, and I was in front of the Hussars. But of all the cities which we visited, Venice is the most ill-built and ridiculous. I cannot imagine how the people who laid it out thought that the cavalry could manoeuvre. It would puzzle Morat or La Salle to bring a squadron into that square of theirs. For this reason we left Kellerman's heavy brigade, and also my own hussars, at Padua on the mainland. But Suchet with the infantry held the town, and he had chosen me as his aide-de-camp for that winter, because he was pleased about the affair of the Italian fencing-master at Milan. The fellow was a good swordsman, and it was fortunate for the credit of French arms that it was I who was opposed to him. Besides, he deserved a lesson, for if one does not like a prima donna singing one can always be silent, but it is intolerable that a public affront should be put upon a pretty woman. So the sympathy was all with me, and after the affair had blown over, and the man's widow had been pensioned, Suchet chose me as his own galloper. AND I FOLLOWED HIM TO VENICE, WHERE I HAD THE STRANGE ADVENTURE, WHICH I AM ABOUT TO TELL YOU. YOU HAVE NOT BEEN TO VENICE? NO, FOR IT IS SELDOM THAT THE FRENCH TRAVEL. WE WERE GREAT TRAVELERS IN THOSE DAYS, FROM MOSCOW TO CAIRO WE HAD TRAVELLED EVERYWHERE, BUT WE WENT IN LARGER PARTIES THAN WERE CONVENIENT TO THOSE WHOM WE VISITED, AND WE CARRIED OUR PASSPORTS IN OUR LIMBERS. IT WILL BE A BAD DAY FOR EUROPE WHEN THE FRENCH START TRAVELING AGAIN. FOR THEY ARE SLOW TO LEAVE THEIR HOMES, BUT WHEN THEY HAVE DONE SO, NO ONE CAN SAY HOW FAR THEY WILL GO, IF THEY HAVE A GUIDE LIKE OUR LITTLE MAN TO POINT OUT THE WAY. BUT THE GREAT DAYS ARE GONE, AND THE GREAT MEN ARE DEAD, AND HERE AM I, THE LAST OF THEM, DRINKING WINE OF CERESNE, AND TELLING OLD TALES IN A CAFE. BUT IT IS OF VENICE THAT I WOULD SPEAK. THE FOLK THERE LIVE LIKE WATER-RATS UPON A MUD-BANK, BUT THE HOUSES ARE VERY FINE, and the churches, especially that of St. Mark, are as great as any I have seen. But above all they are proud of their statues and their pictures, which are the most famous in Europe. There are many soldiers who think that because one's trade is to make war, one should never have a thought above fighting and plunder. There was old Bouvet, for example, the one who was killed by the Prussians on the day that I won the Emperor's Medal. If you took him away from the camp and the canteen and spoke to him of books or of art, he would sit and stare at you. But the highest soldier is a man like myself, who can understand the things of the mind and the soul. It is true that I was very young when I joined the army, and that the quartermaster was my only teacher, but if you go about the world with your eyes open you cannot help learning a great deal. Thus I was able to admire the pictures in Venice, and to know the names of the great men, Michael Titians and Angelus, and the others who had painted them. No one can say that Napoleon did not admire them also, for the very first thing which he did when he captured the town was to send the best of them to Paris. We all took what we could get, and I had two pictures for my share. One of them, called Nymphs Surprised, I kept for myself, and the other, St. Barbara, I sent as a present for my mother. It must be confessed, however, that some of our men behaved very badly in this matter of the statues and the pictures. The people at Venice were very much attached to them, and as to the four bronze horses which stood over the gate of their great church, they loved them as dearly as if they had been their children. I have always been a judge of a horse, and I had a good look at these ones, "'but I could not see that there was much to be said for them. "'They were too coarse-limbed for light cavalry charges, "'and they had not the weight for the gun-teams. "'However, they were the only four horses alive or dead in the whole town, "'so it was not to be expected that the people would know any better. "'They wept bitterly when they were sent away, "'and ten French soldiers were found floating in the canals that night. "'As a punishment for these murders,' A great many more of their pictures were sent away, and the soldiers took to breaking the statues and firing their muskets at the stained-glass windows. This made the people furious, and there was very bad feeling in the town. Many officers and men disappeared during that winter, and even their bodies were never found. For myself I had plenty to do, and I never found the time heavy on my hands. IN EVERY COUNTRY IT HAS BEEN MY CUSTOM TO TRY TO LEARN THE LANGUAGE. FOR THIS REASON I ALWAYS LOOK ROUND FOR SOME LADY, WHO WILL BE KIND ENOUGH TO TEACH IT TO ME, AND THEN WE PRACTICE IT TOGETHER. THIS IS THE MOST INTERESTING WAY OF PICKING IT UP, AND BEFORE I WAS THIRTY I COULD SPEAK NEARLY EVERY TONGUE IN EUROPE. BUT IT MUST BE CONFESSED THAT WHAT YOU LEARN IS NOT OF MUCH USE FOR THE ORDINARY PURPOSES OF LIFE. MY BUSINESS, FOR EXAMPLE, HAS USUALLY BEEN WITH SOLDIERS AND PEASANTS, AND WHAT ADVANTAGE IS IT TO BE ABLE TO SAY TO THEM THAT I LOVE ONLY THEM AND THAT I WILL COME BACK WHEN THE WARS ARE OVER? NEVER HAVE I HAD SO SWEET A TEACHER AS IN VENICE. Lucia WAS HER FIRST NAME, AND HER SECOND, BUT A GENTLEMAN FORGETS SECOND NAMES. I CAN SAY THIS WITH ALL DISCRETION, THAT SHE WAS ONE OF THE SENATORIAL FAMILIES OF VENICE, AND THAT HER GRANDFATHER HAD BEEN DOGE OF THE TOWN. She was of an exquisite beauty, and when I, Etienne Gérard, use such a word as exquisite, my friends, it has a meaning. I have judgment, I have memories, I have the means of comparison. Of all the women who have loved me, there are not twenty to whom I could apply such a term as that. But I say again, Lucia was exquisite. Of the dark type I do not recall her equal, unless it were Dolores of Toledo, There was a little brunette whom I loved at Santorème when I was soldiering under Messina in Portugal. Her name has escaped me. She was of a perfect beauty, but she had not the figure nor the grace of Lucia. There was Agnes also. I could not put one before the other, but I do none an injustice when I say that Lucia was the equal of the best. It was over this matter of pictures that I had first met her for her father owned a palace on the farther side of the Rialto Bridge, upon the Grand Canal, and it was so packed with wall-paintings that Suchet sent a party of sappers to cut some of them out and send them to Paris. I had gone down with them, and after I had seen Lucia in tears, it appeared to me that the plaster would crack if it were taken from the support of the wall. I said so, and the sappers were withdrawn. After that I was a friend of the family, and many a flask of Chianti have I cracked with the father, and many a sweet lesson have I had from the daughter. Some of our French officers married in Venice that winter, and I might have done the same, for I loved her with all my heart. But Etienne Gerard has his sword, his horse, his regiment, his mother, his emperor, and his career. A debonair hussar has room in his life for love, but none for a wife.' So I thought then, my friends, but I did not see the lonely days when I should long to clasp those vanished hands and turn my head away when I saw old comrades with their tall children standing round their chairs. This love which I had thought was a joke and a plaything. It is only now that I understand that it is the moulder of one's life, the most solemn and sacred of all things. Thank you, my friend, thank you. It is a good wine, and a second bottle cannot hurt. And now I will tell you how my love for Lucia was the cause of one of the most terrible of all the wonderful adventures which have ever befallen me, and how it was that I came to lose the top of my right ear. You have often asked me why it was missing. Tonight for the first time I will tell you. Suchet's headquarters at that time was the old palace of the Doge dandolo "'which stands on the lagoon not far from the Place of San Marco. "'It was near the end of the winter, "'and I had returned one night from the Theatre Goldini "'when I found a note from Lucia and a gondola waiting. "'She prayed me to come to her at once as she was in trouble. "'To a Frenchman and a soldier there was but one answer to such a note. "'In an instant I was in the boat "'and the gondolier was pushing out into the dark lagoon.' "'I remember that as I took my seat in the boat I was struck by the man's great size. "'He was not tall, but he was one of the broadest men that I have ever seen in my life. "'But the gondoliers of Venice are a strong breed, and powerful men are common enough among them. "'The fellow took his place behind me and began to row. "'A good soldier in an enemy's country should everywhere and at all times be on the alert.' It has been one of the rules of my life, and if I have lived to wear grey hairs, it is because I have observed it. And yet, upon that night, I was as careless as a foolish young recruit, who fears lest he should be thought to be afraid. My pistols I had left behind in my hurry, my sword was at my belt, but it is not always the most convenient of weapons. I lay back in my seat in the gondola, lulled by the gentle swish of the water, and the steady creaking of the oar. Our way lay through a network of narrow canals, with high houses towering on either side, and a thin slit of star-spangled sky above us. Here and there, on the bridges which spanned the canal, there was the dim glimmer of an oil-lamp, and sometimes there came a gleam from some niche where a candle burned before the image of a saint. But save for this it was all black, and one could only see the water by the white fringe which curled round the long black nose of our boat. It was a place and a time for dreaming. I thought of my own past life, of all the great deeds in which I have been concerned, of the horses that I had handled, and of the women that I had loved. Then I thought also of my dear mother, and I fancied her joy when she heard the folk in the village talking about the fame of her son. "'of the emperor also, I thought, "'and of France, the dear fatherland, "'the sunny France, mother of beautiful daughters "'and of gallant sons. "'My heart glowed within me "'as I thought of how we had brought her colours "'so many hundred leagues beyond her borders. "'To her greatness I would dedicate my life. "'I placed my hand upon my heart as I swore it, "'and at that instant the gondolier fell upon me from behind. "'When I say that he fell upon me, I DO NOT MEAN MERELY THAT HE ATTACKED ME, BUT THAT HE REALLY DID TUMBLE UPON ME WITH ALL HIS WEIGHT. THE FELLOW STANDS BEHIND YOU AND ABOVE YOU AS HE ROSE, SO THAT YOU CAN NEITHER SEE HIM NOR CAN YOU IN ANY WAY GUARD AGAINST SUCH AN ASSAULT. ONE MOMENT I HAD SAT WITH MY MIND FILLED WITH SUBLIME RESOLUTIONS, THE NEXT I WAS FLATTENED OUT UPON THE BOTTOM OF THE BOAT, THE BREATH DASHED OUT OF MY BODY AND THIS MONSTER PINNING ME DOWN. I felt the fierce pants of his hot breath upon the back of my neck. In an instant he had torn away my sword, had slipped a sack over my head, and had tied a rope firmly round the outside of it. There I was, at the bottom of the gondola, as helpless as a trussed fowl. I could not shout, I could not move, I was a mere bundle. An instant later I heard once more the swishing of the water and the creaking of the oar. This fellow had done his work and had resumed his journey as quietly and unconcernedly as if he were accustomed to clap a sack over a colonel of Hussars every day of the week. I cannot tell you the humiliation and also the fury which filled my mind as I lay there like a helpless sheep being carried to the butchers. I, Etienne Gérard, the champion of the six brigades of light cavalry and the first swordsman of the Grand Army. TO BE OVERPOWERED BY A SINGLE UNARMED MAN IN SUCH A FASHION! Yet I lay quiet, for there is a time to resist, and there is a time to save one's strength. I had felt the fellow's grip upon my arms, and I knew that I would be a child in his hands. I waited quietly, therefore, with a heart which burned with rage, until my opportunity should come. How long I lay there at the bottom of the boat I cannot tell, but it seemed to me to be a long time and always there were the hiss of the waters, and the steady creaking of the oar. Several times we turned corners, for I heard the long sad cry which these gondoliers give when they wish to warn their fellows that they are coming. At last, after a considerable journey, I felt the side of the boat scrape up against the landing-place. The fellow knocked three times with his oar upon wood, and in answer to his summons I heard the rasping of bars and the turning of keys. A great door creaked back upon its hinges. "'Have you got him?' asked a voice in Italian. My monster gave a laugh and kicked the sack in which I lay. "'Here he is,' said he. "'They are waiting.' He added something which I could not understand. "'Take him, then,' said my captor. He raised me in his arms, ascended some steps, and I was thrown down upon a hard floor.' A moment later the bars creaked and the key whined once more. I was a prisoner inside a house. From the voices and the steps there seemed now to be several people round me. I understand Italian a great deal better than I speak it, and I could make out very well what they were saying. "'You have not killed him, Matteo? What matter if I have? My faith you will have to answer for it to the tribunal.' "'They will kill him, will they not?' "'Yes, but it is not for you or me to take it out of their hands. Tat, I have not killed him. "'Dead men do not bite, and his cursed teeth met in my thumb "'as I pulled the sack over his head. "'He lies very quiet. "'Tumble him out and you will find that he is lively enough. "'The cord which bound me was undone, and the sack drawn from over my head.' "'With my eyes closed I lay motionless upon the floor. "'By the saints, Matteo, I tell you that you have broken his neck. "'Not I. He has only fainted. "'The better for him if he never came out of it again.' "'I felt a hand within my tunic. "'Matteo is right,' said a voice. "'His heart beat like a hammer. "'Let him lie, and he will soon find his senses.' I waited for a minute or so, and then I ventured to take a stealthy peep from between my lashes. At first I could see nothing, for I had been so long in darkness, and it was but a dim light in which I found myself. Soon, however, I made out that a high and vaulted ceiling covered with painted gods and goddesses was arching over my head. This was no mean den of cutthroats into which I had been carried, but it must be the hall of some Venetian palace." Then, without movement, very slowly and stealthily, I had a peep at the men who surrounded me. There was the gondolier, a swart, hard-faced, murderous ruffian, and beside him were three other men, one of them a little twisted fellow, with an air of authority and several keys in his hand. The other two, tall young servants in a smart livery. As I listened to their talk, I saw that the small man was the steward of the house, AND THAT THE OTHERS WERE UNDER HIS ORDERS. THERE WERE FOUR OF THEM, THEN, BUT THE LITTLE STEWARD MIGHT BE LEFT OUT OF THE RECKONING. HAD I A WEAPON, I SHOULD HAVE SMILED AT SUCH ODDS AS THOSE. BUT HAND TO HAND, I WAS NO MATCH FOR THE ONE, EVEN WITHOUT THREE OTHERS TO aid HIM. CUNNING, THEN, NOT FORCE MUST BE MY AID. I WISHED TO LOOK ROUND FOR SOME MODE OF ESCAPE, AND IN DOING SO I GAVE AN ALMOST IMPERCEPTIBLE MOVEMENT OF MY HEAD. "'Slight as it was, it did not escape my guardians. "'Come, wake up, wake up!' cried the steward. "'Get on your feet, little Frenchman!' growled the gondolier. "'Get up, I say!' "'And for the second time he spurned me with his foot. "'Never in the world was a command obeyed so promptly as that one. "'In an instant I had bounded to my feet and rushed as hard as I could to the back of the hall.' They were after me, as I have seen the English hounds follow a fox, but there was a long passage down which I tore. It turned to the left and again to the left, and then I found myself back in the hall once more. They were almost within touch of me, and there was no time for thought. I turned towards the staircase, but two men were coming down it. I dodged back and tried the door through which I had been brought, but it was fastened with great bars and I could not loosen them. The gondolier was on me with his knife, but I met him with a kick on the body which stretched him on his back. His dagger flew with a clatter across the marble floor. I had no time to seize it, for there were half a dozen of them now clutching at me. As I rushed through them the little steward thrust his leg before me, and I fell with a crash, but I was up in an instant, and breaking from their grasp I burst through the very middle of them and made for a door at the other end of the hall. I reached it well in front of them and I gave a shout of triumph as the handle turned freely in my hand for I could see that it led to the outside and that all was clear for my escape but I had forgotten this strange city in which I was every house is an island as I flung open the door ready to bound out into the street the light of the hall shone upon the deep still black water which lay flush with the topmost step I shrank back "'and in an instant my pursuers were on me. "'But I am not taken so easily. "'Again I kicked and fought my way through them, "'though one of them tore a handful of hair from my head "'in his effort to hold me. "'The little steward struck me with a key, "'and I was battered and bruised, "'but once more I cleared away in front of me. "'Up the grand staircase I rushed, "'burst open the pair of huge folding doors which faced me, "'and learned at last that my efforts were in vain.' End of section 1